I met I met Julie uh, uh, in these uh, in these uh, Zoom rooms uh, last year, and it's been good to get to know her. Uh, I believe I've heard her speak once, but frankly, I don't remember it. So I'm asking to <laughs> to hear her again. Uh, and I'm sure if you keep an open mind and an open heart, you'll hear something to keep you sober another 24. And with that, I'll give you Julie. Thank you, Howard. Um, I'm Julie. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. Um, I'm lots of things off balance, trying to move towards balance on a daily basis. So um, thank you and hi everyone and welcome and big congratulations to Tom who's uh, reached 24 years sober and clean and all that uh, healthy stuff today. So well done. And um, Howard asked me, I think last week, uh, would I do the chair? And I said, yes. And it's good for me to say yes. And it's good for me to be agreeable to uh, whatever whatever it is. Um, um, so yeah, you know, I, I, it's of course gone through my mind, what do I say, what do I say? Um, I have wrote down a few points, but um, I, I think in general it's, I, I prefer and it's probably more useful to focus on my experience in recovery. Um, so I hope I can do that. I hope I don't go off and go in down rabbit holes in my own story. Um, so, I, I, but just very, very uh, briefly, you know, grew up um, in what I would just very kind of simply say, um, an unhappy home that became more and more broken. And um, when I found substances, drink to begin with, and others that followed suit, um, it was those it was just that gateway to escaping what was just so unhappy and hard for me to cope with. So I, I guess I do believe that addiction in general, my, my understanding of anyone else's is that it's uh, escapism from, from uh, inability or very lacking ability to, to cope with reality, life and life's terms. Um, so that, that was me and, um, it just, you know, once I found drink and all the other substances, substances, it, it, um, th they became more and more important. They became more and more central. They became daily. Um, you know, so I guess I started drinking and using it 13, 14 and, um, when I say I'm an addict, it, it can be anything. And, you know, a member was saying at this group just a few days ago that she's a long time in recovery now. And she's just, it's just part of her personality, part of her makeup, part of how she operates and, you know, reading books addictively or whatever it is, even healthy, creative, nice things, good things. And that's very much me as well. So, um, and I, um, I, I came to recovery in another fellowship called NA. So that was really helpful in giving me, teaching me an understanding of addiction as opposed to alcoholism. And I don't debate too much about what's one and what's the other. Um, maybe there's a difference, maybe there's not. But anyway, I also believe that 
alcoholism and addiction to substances are the tip of the iceberg. I fully believe that. And it's all the stuff before I ever picked up and all the stuff that gathered then through the unmanageability of using um, landed me in the gutter, so to speak, in my mind anyway. Um, so yeah, like like growing up all, you know, as a kid, took just would eat penny sweets, jelly sweets, you know, chewy sweets, like like I could never get enough of that. So looking backwards, you know, the signs were there. Um, and, you know, I would walk home from school and not that I needed to, I used to get pocket money, but uh, that wasn't enough and uh, started stealing, started stealing little things like sweets, chocolates, ice creams, and it just sort of spiraled from there. Stealing, shoplifting was, was something I did a lot of in my early teens. I eventually got arrested by cops in a shopping center in Cork and was taken to um, a police station and I was 15, so in legal terms it didn't it wasn't pursued after that, but it was very shameful for my parents who collected me and um, nothing was done about it. And that's, you know, that shows the sort of family situation too. It was very broken. Um, so none of my behaviors got really recognized nor dealt with. Um, so anyway, that was just that, that was just one incident. Um, it did frighten me, but not enough to uh, stop. <laughs> Um, While well, I sort of stopped shoplifting mostly, um, certainly on the scale I was doing it, but um, then all the other substances started filing in more and more often. Um, and again, the other things, you know, obsessive, you know, this obsessive compulsive nature, obsessive about sh shopping um, and having such low self-esteem, you know, thinking if I dressed a certain way, if I had certain earrings, if I had certain shoes, uh, certain hair color, certain hair set, a lot of, you know, the outside. And I think, again, that's typical of, of the addict mm. makeup and, and how we operate. Um, fixated about uh, how I would look or appear to others and if I was to appear a certain way then then I might just have a tick mark um, all that sort of stuff very obsessive couldn't get enough of these things you know um, crazy so um, then along all those years of, of using an, an addiction kind of climbing climbing up and and uh progressing um i was also very depressed i think they both went hand in hand i don't think one was separate from the other um so it suited me totally to um blame the depression on all my woes and um the depression became very very dark and I sort of, uh, anyway, I had a, I don't know, it's, it's still all these years later, it's still hard to, to finish up or say, did I have one or two or three suicide attempts? There was, the last time was definitely very serious, where I had planned it months in advance, written these letters, um, saved up tablets, and uh, took them all one night. and. Um, I was found by my father and hospitalized, and that was yet another event that 
uh, was not discussed with me or my parents or family or anything after that. And it was just going back to resuming pretty much the lifestyle I, I had led me there. Um, but it, it was the it was the darkest period of my life, even though I continued to drink and use after that. Um, that was in uh, 98. I was 19. I was in college, but of course dropped out. Um, so that was that. So that was the darkest time. And while I kept, uh, while addiction kept going in me, um, the depression, well, the, the suicidal idea or, or plan was, was stopped there. Um, so, you know, it just took another route, kept going anyway. And um, um, then when I was 20, left the country to, with my boyfriend at the time, went to live in Holland, had no plan at all of how long we're going for, but I just wanted to get out, hadn't thought it through really, had saved up some money a bit, I just wanted to get out, home was unbearable, Ireland was unbearable, and I wanted better quality drugs available to me without the hassle. So that's where I went. I was only there nine months, it wasn't a long period. My life there kind of collapsed, collapsed beyond what I could have ever anticipated. My boyfriend, who I did love dearly, um, had a psychotic breakdown. He was French, his father came from France immediately and collected him and took him home and took him to a high security hospital and I stayed in the Netherlands to sort of just pack up and follow him up to France like maybe just two or three weeks later anyway um I was only I was kind of just given a special pass to visit him one afternoon he was unrecognizable it was very saying he had tried to you know do all sorts of things while he was in there and was in a padded room he had escaped the police brought him back all of this and of course because I was using myself it just it was shocking um but at the same time it was kind of frozen you know um so I couldn't really stay on in France because his he was going to be in, in in an institution for quite a while so I did come back home that was in March 2000, and um, about uh, six weeks later, my mother died suddenly and tragically, and uh, dash, 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 that, that is the worst thing that's happened to me. Um, so, because we had sort of been estranged through my deans and sort of when I had been living away I had started writing letters home to my mother so there was a bit of a turning point there but never had the chance to um get reconciliation and uh that's a deep loss and regret you know I've come to terms with it that's been that's been an enormous part of my recovery as well to um find some peace and forgiveness about all of that. Um, we do have only one mother at the end of the day. Um, so, um, but kept using, so again, you know, emotional tragedy on top of everything else. Um, not looking at the problem. No one was 
you know, asking me about uh, my drinking years in any way, I suppose I was sort of semi-functional, it's questionable, but um, anyway, went back to college yet again, um, and I enjoyed what I was doing. I was doing a holistic therapy course, and um, I was interested in health, and then that took on this new kind of wave of seeking to get better, but yet wanting to keep using. Um, but that was sort of uh, one of those things that finally led me to to find recovery in 2003. Um, so I went to my first meeting in the summer of 2003, not willing to admit I was anything um, other than a bit depressed and far out maybe and lonely. Um, but I went anyway, I went with my boyfriend at the time, a different boyfriend. Um, just, you know, we, I hear people say sometimes it went because someone was, was sort of on your back and kind of keeping quiet. So it was that. And, um, but anyway, while I wasn't, didn't want to look at myself sooner or later, while I kept going to meetings for those few, first few weeks and months, uh, the message did get in and then I drew in the towel and have remained clean since then. Um, and undoubtedly, that's my best achievement in life. So then finding recovery is, an old, you know, it's a 360 degree circle. And that circle doesn't happen overnight, but over time, it is an incredible swap over. Um, I identify when people say they were the walking dead in their addiction in terms of uh, feeling, you know, so weary, exhausted, unable, and incapable, depressed, all that. So kind of coming back to life a bit um, in early recovery was incredible and fun and illuminating. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, especially when you do the chair in, in traditionally, I suppose, um, you know, talk about the framework of AA, the steps, uh service sponsorship all that so i would say um my first number of years in recovery i really dove into all of that and it was my richest period in terms of um working the steps and sponsorship and positions of service so that was that really gave me a really really great foundation um and while I've done different parts since then, that was definitely the most concentrated period of, of doing service, especially in step work and all that. So we um, got to, you know, go into schools and talk to students as part of the fellowship and um, a women's prison here in Ireland in Limerick. And that was an amazing experience, eye-opening, you know, um, and I was just a visitor. And an addict in recovery. So to get out, to go there, and to get out was um, just, I couldn't I couldn't describe it. Um, and I felt very akin to the women I met in there, um, young women, mothers. Uh, their faces lit up when they spoke about their children, and of course they were imprisoned and separated from them. Um, then. Uh, um, then my life kind of turned, you know, the way recovery just spends in the world and there's challenges and uh, opportunities. So again, this kind of, 
hunger of sort of self-improvement or if I get this, I'll be better. You know, still the addict mind I am and always will be the addict um, and have that thinking. And again, still a lot of fixation on the outside, the outside. Um, so back to wanting to get back into education again um, for, I don't know, fourth or fifth time at this stage. Um, so when I was four years uh, in recovery, I um, started a bachelor degree in Trinity College in Dublin. I had, it, Trinity was fourth on my list, so I wanted to stay in Cork. Um, but when I got the letter offering me Trinity in Dublin, um, yeah, well, I couldn't refuse it anyway, so I went. And um, that those I was there five years in total. That was again an amazing, um, eye-opening educational experience. Not just my course, but being in a new city, being Dublin. I love Dublin, not as much as Cork, but I still do. Um, it was my home at the time, and the fellowship, most of all, um, was exceptionally strong and supportive. So sometimes I look back and I say, oh you know, I should have studied harder and I should have been more committed to my course and all this, but um, I don't regret it. Um, I was just, I was, I never, you know, I, I was always committed to my recovery and went to regular meetings and all that. And that, of course, uh, has, has kept me clean and sober and, and all the richness of that. So um, while I wasn't a top student of the class or anything, um, I, I wanted to just be living life as well, you know. Um, so that was really great. And, you know, just the student life, how sharing with different people, um, very positive mostly. Um, uh, yeah, however, the course I chose was um, midwifery. Um, it's a bit of a noted gun to talk about. I'm very passionate about midwifery and healthcare in all directions, but specifically women's health and women's lives and babies and all this motherhood. Um, and I suppose this brings me to my point I've written down here, like, um, I suppose just for the sake of comparison, like, you know, here we all are at this uh, Tusnur group and we come regularly and it's part of what's called secular A that I had nothing, no awareness of until I happened upon these meetings last year in the pandemic. And, you know, yeah, I, I, it seems that secular A kind of came out of or was born for, out of um, people uh, not, not, not following traditional religious spiritual values. And um, not that I can articulate that stuff at all, but so, while there are people at this group, or just people at large, uh, who 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 are atheists or agnostic or somewhere somewhere just apart from um, organized religions or spiritualities, and may have very strong feelings about that, um, um, I I have no very strong or heated feelings about that stuff. Um, so, but but comparatively, my my biggest heated um, kind of fight <laughs> about the, about something in life is um, the medical model of, of healthcare in our Western world. So 
to just kind of say my personal story in terms of pursuing midwifery um, and the medical model of midwifery basically having taken over the world. And there are different pockets of midwifery-like care, which is supposed to be something different. But um, I suppose in short, I just couldn't align myself to what I was seeing going on in my training hospital, especially. And um, I, I it sort of just fell apart for me anyway. I completed my internship, which ran me ragged. Um, you know, and, and in fairness, me and all my classmates faced a lot of bullying. Um, we just uh, weren't liked among the qualified midwives and nurses and all this kind of thing. And, um, oh, it was, anyway, I won't go on about it. It's, it's, um, it's a loaded thing. So I'm not in that profession. Um, it's kind of broken my heart. I don't know if I'll go back to it. Um, but I can't go back into a workplace with a set of, uh, with, that operates in ways that um, I think are cruel and very unnecessary. Um, and again, I suppose to compare, you know, in Irish history, it's not so long ago. And again, people have shared at this meeting about our educational system here and our education and religious systems being combined, especially have been terribly cruel and grotesque. Um, so I saw those sorts of things in my training hospital against women and families and women's bodies. And I, just me as me being a very sensitive person and wanting justice, <laughs> um, had to kind of bail out of that. So, uh, came back to Cork again, kind of that feeling of tail between my legs for not having, you know, gone into that career. Um, felt a disappointment to my family, but no one really said that. Um, my brother, who I have, would have had lots of competition with from childhood, happens to be consultant obstetrician for, again, pregnant women and babies and all that. So for him being at that level, having pursued that and me having pursued midwifery, which is in some people's eyes very similar, in my eyes very different. And for me, for him to be excelling and at the top of his career and for me to have let it go. Anyway, that's another personal thing and family thing. And, you know, it's a bit of a wildfire. And it's just one of these things I need to work on a daily basis to accept all of that stuff because it runs quite deep. Um, um, so yeah, that was another chapter in my life. And then when I came back to Cork again after my time in Dublin, um, I felt, I, I would have said it was a rock bottom in recovery because I felt kind of, uh, my life was desolate you know I guess I hung on to that identity and pursuing that course was meant to kind of set me up because I had you know not done it when I was 18 kind of thing so um yeah that, that was a very low point in 2012 for me again um but I was back in my hometown with um my home city which again uh, my my initial and original kind of recovery groups so, you know, again, uh, surprise, surprise, it was the strength. 
and support of AA as a fellowship um, that, that strengthened me up again at that time. I had an amazing sponsor at that time who I'm still very good friends with, best one of the best people I've met, um, just incredibly kind, supportive, non-judgmental. Um, and then <laughs> another turning point, I took off on this short little break on a holiday by myself to Edinburgh in 2013 there I met a man from another side of the world and there was a spark and I met him and hung out with him on my last day of a short break in holiday and we kept in touch and 11 months later I moved to his country which was China and um what can I say? Life again, it was this thing of um, starting afresh again, new chance, and all the goodness of that. Um, and feeling the good, and you know, yeah, so feeling good about that, but an enormous risk. Like, and I knew I was kind of giving up everything to go here and didn't know how it would work out um, at all. Um, but went and and you know things were set up um for me with a job oh, that was another whole new thing apart from moving to a radically different culture far away um i was entering into a new work teaching teaching english and that part of my life in china was really um really enjoyable i really enjoyed uh students i was lucky to work in a public university um, and got to know as much as a foreigner can how, how things work in the educational system there. I'm very passionate about education as well as healthcare. So um, that a lot of it uh, was was the kind of pink cloud for a while over there, but um, a lot of um, increasingly heavy. Uh, things came crashing into our lives rooting into Chinese government and how it operates and that's just how some countries are and that's just how that country was and me again being me and ultra sensitive and being somewhat of a humanitarian and caring about people's lives and choices and justice I was very much a fish out of water and when you know, I was becoming more connected, you know, I became engaged, um, I got married, I had my baby there. So, you know, it, it, I wasn't just this foreigner going there to teach for a year and come back with loads of money or something like that, which a lot of people do there. Um, um, and I wasn't sure from the start or even after a couple of years, was, was this going to be my home long term? Um, but um, uh, halfway through my pregnancy, that the level of of stress and obstacles, just I couldn't even start to go into it. Um, was just crazy. Um, even though I had a healthy pregnancy and natural birth and all that was great. Um, I'm conscious of time now, but so. Um, the pattern went then that, um, and it's funny, you know, in recovery, you start to see 
patterns and patterns of life cycles and having, again, to take responsibility for one's decisions. And uh, not that I've made the outcomes of things, but um, that's challenged me at all different points of my recovery. So um, after when my baby was very small, um, postnatal depression came in like like again like something I just can't articulate very dark very very dark couldn't speak about anything to anyone um, um, and all my time there anyway I could never really be myself because you know <laughs> I'm a fairly free thinking not all that vocal but um my views of the world would not align to communist Chinese regime, you know? So, um, and I, I was never stepped out of line, like I was always very respectful, but it meant I had to shelve the real me for all that time. So between that and um, the postnatal depression, yeah, my, my head kind of went off an edge and, um, that was that was utter despair that was awful um while it was essential to get out of our apartment on the fourth floor every day with a small new baby um it was a crushing uh paranoia um and i was afraid of of you know becoming becoming the cause of my baby not not living and all this kind of thing so very awful voices in my head um and had no one or no source to to say any of that so I carried all of that and again um you know I think I've omitted the, the big point here as well there are there are only a meetings in Beijing and Shanghai and mainland China and I wasn't living in those cities so effectively for the five years I was there, I didn't have regular meetings. That wasn't by choice. When I came home to Ireland, mostly twice a year, yes, I packed them in and that served me in some way, but like, as far as I'm concerned, not having regular meetings and trying to uh, have some amount of peace or move towards peace in oneself, uh, I don't think that can, be achieved I couldn't achieve it anyway so um it sounds kind of might, might sound dramatic or or something but um I am recovering from my last few years there especially we're back in Ireland now two years again it was an enormous battle to get my husband as a Chinese citizen and my daughter who's who had both a Chinese and Irish passport at that time but to get them out of the country um and, you know, people were saying, Asher, you're married, isn't it easy? And no, it wasn't. And right up to the time we got the plane, the night leaving, there were obstacles. It was awful. So um, my husband is a good person. He's a proud communist traditional Chinese man. Um, our marriage has been extremely rocky the last year. Um, and because I've had so much hurt and difficulty from life there, you know, it comes out ferociously in our arguments often. And 
I'd be the one vocalizing those things and he remains uh, not so vocal, so there's that. So, um, yeah, so so uh, life is, I, I feel very stable in terms of recovery and I'm having no temptation to pick up anything or go into any kind of other dangerous, risky kind of things that my addictive thinking could lead me to. Um, but they're still there. They're still there turning around. Um, so I still have a lot of negativity. I do, in my own kind of ways, target that. Um, so I, I try meditation when I can. It, I'm not a daily person to practice meditation, but I do it when I can. It's, it's the key, certainly. But um, as an addict, I resist what's good for me as well. Um, I believe in alternative aspects of healthcare, um, and I just try to keep myself very healthy and very driven by that. Um, I work part-time weekends, um, not really satisfied in my work, but it's means to an end for now. May or may not go back into full-time education in the future. <clears throat> Probably that would, you know, I kind of feel like could or should or would, and in an, you know, in a strange way, I still feel the best of life is in front of me, um, which feels a bit ironic because uh, I can have so much heaviness and negativity in me. So I won't go on too much longer. Um, I suppose just, you know, kind of a maybe a sweet story to, uh, again, kind of uh, say about like religion, spirituality, um, and I don't have very, very heated feelings about those, but I think for those of us who've been lucky to travel, or, you know, especially travel outside of our own countries, um, that first time on a plane or whatever away is surely unforgettable. So when I was 10 years of age, it was my first trip outside of Ireland. I, my mother organized for her and I to go to France. <laughs> And um, of course, it wasn't Paris or anywhere else like that. It was Lourdes, Lourdes in um, South France in the Pyrenees, which is a Catholic kind of um, mecca, pardon the pun. Um, and it was extraordinary. I mean, I was 10, I was a child. Um, I did sort of understand what was going on. And then uh, my mother was very religious and very engaged with all different aspects of her religion and it she never forced it upon me but I was taken along with her and uh, so I went when I was 10 uh, the next year we went on a family trip to Jersey the next year again when I was 12 back to Lourdes my mum and I and the next year again when I was 13 back to Lourdes um, so but what was what was whatever about religion and I know how scarred my own Irish country and Irish men and women and babies are because of the Irish Catholic Church. <clears throat> what I experienced in Lourdes at that time as a child myself was these masses of people congregating in some hope and the faith, you know, and maybe their faith is something corrupt, which people are entitled to feel that. Um, but the hope, and again, I met some very sick and invalided and, you know, disabled people there and 
it opened my eyes completely and it was special. And I guess because it was something shared with my mother um, in those years before I went off the rails myself, it's it's a special memory. So I just wanted to kind of add that in to, to what I'm talking about today. Um, I won't say any more, but thank you. Thank you for the chance to uh, talk and thank you for listening to me and me to listen to others is far more important. So I'll do that now. Thank you, Julie.